So welcome to Side Talks. I'm Rachel Morgan, the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. And I'm Corey Kraft. I'm a features programmer for all of those things as well. I tried to kind of like lean in and give you like an intro kind I, of thing. I, I'm but not like good it, at picking up on signals. Right. Uh, just Social in general. cues, any it, of that. It's not, it's not my strong suit. Well, what do we do on this podcast? We talk about movies. I am good at watching those. They don't involve contact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no real true human contact. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. Let's do it. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. All right, Rachel, it's time for a five-minute fight today. Five-minute fight. Let's um, let's talk about um, the films of Jim Jarmusch in particular, his 2014 film Only Lovers Left Alive, which is his take, his sort of laid-back, uh, deadpan traditionally Jarmuschian take on a vampire movie with Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. You have a thing against this movie. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was sleeping over here for a minute. Oh, let, yeah. me, let me wake up. Um, this week has been so... This particular podcast and last has been so Jarmusch-filled. The weeks have been Jarmusch-filled. Sure. Why not? Um, it's, a, it's a great thing. Uh, this film is lame as hell. <laughs> it feels so out of touch. It feels so Dollsville. It feels like a man who, when was the last time he did anything that was just like normal or average? Uh, I'm not suggesting that everybody has to be normal and average, but I just, it's nice when a person can like touch that every 10 or 20 years. It's very irritating, this film. I love Tilda Swinton. I'm not, nobody's gonna, I'm, I'm not winning any arguments when it comes to her because she's an amazing, amazing human being yes. and an amazing actor. So I'm not even going there, but this film sucks. This film, I've said it before, it's the equivalent of a summer reading list. And I'm not, I'm not against, I know you teach English, I'm waiting to hear you say that. <laughs> I'm not against reading in the summer. I'm simply saying that like, oh my gosh, let's quote something from the most quoted books and I'm bored on my mind. Okay. Um, I don't really have a response to that <laughs> other than to say I think it's a, a really good film. I like him in general. I like his take on things. He's the f sort of filmmaker who can make a movie and no matter what it's about, I will be in uh, because of his sort of, his style, his uh, a skew again deadpan slow look at things uh, which I find valuable uh, only lovers left alive I think is a really good example of that in that it sort of takes a genre that was um, fashionable at the moment and I guess still remains fashionable and puts his twist on it this sort of Zen take on the impermanence of time on the creation of art on why all of this is important. Is it slow? Of course it is. All of his movies are slow. Is it out of touch? I don't think it's out of touch. Hey, Grandpa, who you want to come make a movie? I mean, look, then that's not anything against grandpas. There's a lot of grandpas out there that are way more in touch than Jarmusch, but this thing, again, feels like the Jim Jarmusch Retirement Fund. He is just, it's so, it doesn't feel like he's, it just feels like a film that's made by somebody who hasn't been relevant in 20 years. I don't I don't think so. I, I think that movie and his newest movie, The Dead Don't Die. Which, Haven't seen it. Uh, I, you trying, won't like it. No. You won't like it. I know. Um, they, I wonder why. On their minds, though, uh, especially in The Dead Don't Die, is uh, it's sort of a rumination on not only impermanence, but specifically 
uh, the looming threat of climate change. Those movies are both about that. Um, Only Lovers Left Alive. I would rather watch a documentary on climate change. I don't need Jarmusch to explain climate change to me or to press the climate change. I don't think he's trying to explain that, but like, well, or to even comment on it. I don't. I mean, I guess that at least gives. I guess at least one thing about that. At least he's talking about something relevant. Well, that's what that that, that is my charge against your irrelevance claims. At the same time, like I'm not getting anything out of these. Like they're not working subtextually or even like main textually. Is that a thing I can say? Uh, On any level that's that's really doing anything for me except boring me out of my skull. They're they're mood pieces. And I I have that that genre gene. And that mood is boredom. I I disagree. Dollville, everybody there is, welcome to Dollville. There's a very specific type of cool that he oh, engages with. Oh, that's the problem. With. He thinks he's cool. When he's making this I film, I think he's cool. He, oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem here. He thinks he's cool. You think he's cool. He is so far from How's cool. How is that a problem? And you that's know not what, a problem. You know what the worst thing is? When somebody thinks they're cool and they're not, that's just the worst. And that's what this film is. Thank you for bringing me here because that is my main thesis. Is this film thinks it's so cool and it is so if the people furthest agree thing with it, cool. Why is that a problem? Who agrees with I it? Do. You. You in the mouse in Jarmish's pocket? <laughs> maybe and Sam that's it. Oh, yeah, maybe I don't we'll know what see. Sam's relationship There's like a handful of other Jim people Jarmusch? in the world who probably agree. I you mean, know what? That's fine. That's fine. The dude introduced me to Tom Waits when I was a teenager. I'll take it. If I'm part I don't of a need Jarmish to introduce me to Tom Waits. And see, that's the deal. Well, okay, apparently I he did. He thinks he introduced everybody to Tom Waits, and that's the problem. If I'm part of a club with like a half dozen other people and we're just like wearing sunglasses and smoking clove cigarettes and watching Dead Man over and over again, I'll be part of that club. That sounds like a pretty good club. It's not even an argument fully against Jarmusch. It's an argument against Jarmusch in the last 15 years. Mm. Well, you, have you seen Patterson, his, his no, movie? No, I haven't. Patterson so is not... his masterpiece, but you won't oh, like it because it's about go... poetry. And it's about it's a slow <laughs> look at, at a bus driver who writes poetry. And you know what? I found it completely involving and gripping and, and zen and meditative. Where's the and, bus headed to Dollsville? Uh, uh, yeah, see, that's what I expected you to say. You're just like <laughs> driving by a fucking skateboard, just like, dude, this is dull, man. Like... You're Poochie from The Simpsons here with your sunglasses, just like. Anyway. You know who doesn't win? Jarmusch. Fine. Whatever. Even if I lose, I, I still feel like I didn't. Now's when you should recite some poetry in a British accent. And a New Jersey accent. <laughs> That's the point of Patterson. Here comes Sam telling me I'm fucking wrong. Dude, there's some good fights. I'm getting punchy today. <laughs> sweaty again i'm sorry it's okay it is summer okay so usually i do a little note taking and some light research before coming in and calling these but this one's really no contest rachel wins completely um (laughs) i hope that was picked up um it's totally summer reading a summer reading list it was even assigned to me in a film class at ua along with stranger than paradise and i'm pretty sure the entire class fell asleep like as we were as we were being assigned it um and although i have to say rachel loses points for using the argument that this film and all of jim jarmusch's films think they're so cool when they're not when that was rachel's entire argument about john hughes and the breakfast club etc um Rachel loses points for some hypocrisy in the argument, but yeah, overall, it's just welcome to Dollsville, Corey. <laughs> and now, a look at what we're watching this week. Rachel, what are you watching this week? I am watching a film that we're going to talk about 
just very briefly here with no context. Okay. So I don't let's not try to place where what this film it's a film called The Nightingale directed by Jennifer Kent. It is a masterpiece. Um, it is a film that is very difficult. I know that you've seen it, um, and so I'll be quiet here in a second and also let you chime in. It is a film that I just feel like Jennifer Kent now has my heart in a box somewhere in, I guess, Australia. Um, I will never be the same after seeing this film. It is, it's rare that I immediately place a film in my top ten. Usually I have to work up to that. And so this film is up there like along the lines of like things like Citizen Kane. Wow. Um, I think it's I think it's just an absolute genius work. I was a little I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about what this film is about um, because I don't want to give a, a, I don't want to give a lot away. I also think when you sort of talk about this or try to give a synopsis to this film, it's, it seems dull. Yeah. Um, and it's not. Um, and so I want to be careful about sort of, again, giving it too much context for a lot of reasons. Um, but there's been a lot of news about this film and it is really, really wonderful. I was, um, and maybe wonderful is the wrong word because it is most unpleasant. Um, but I, you know, was a little frustrated with Jennifer Kent because she had made the Duke and was taking quite a while before making her second film. And then I will say seeing this, I immediately was like, oh, girl, take your time. Yeah. Because this makes perfect sense that you, I'm surprised it didn't take longer. Like, um, this is not a Patty Jenkins moment where we're just waiting for decades. Um, this is, you know, several years, certainly, but, um, but well worth the wait and, and understandable why this wait was what it was. It's a great movie. Um, it is a difficult movie. I think the best word for it is unflinching. It takes um, a hard look at some things we would rather not consider, things we would rather not talk about, but things that are very, very relevant, even though this is a, a period piece. And, um, you know, it, it does that in some ways that are difficult for a lot of viewers. It was difficult for me. Um, mm-hmm. I had to pause this film and you know, take a few minutes at, at yeah. a certain point. Um, but it is one of the more rewarding things I've seen all year. Uh, just a, a really great work from one of those like terrific emerging directors who, you know, after the Babadook, she had me, right? Like anything you do, I will see it. After this, I mean, I can't imagine what's next yeah it's a it's i mean it says and when you watch the trailer for this it says masterpiece at the end i totally agree i put this film on it like we're screening right now so i put this film on it like midnight uh i you know i've said this before but i i see her sort of you know she's singing and it's a period piece and it's a and i'm like oh man i hate to say this and and admit my weakness but like i'm gonna be asleep in 15 minutes it's 12 12 30 a.m and i just you know and then sure enough like you know, 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to sleep anytime soon. And I mean, I made it all the way through this two hour and seven minute or whatever it may be. So it's two hour and change film and was totally energized, um, maybe not in the in a positive way, but totally energized by it. And certainly was never I think I barely blinked. Um, and so, you know, I'll just land it by saying that if I had a pull quote, which nobody cares, but if I had a pull quote to put on the little Blu-ray cover when it comes out, it would be Jennifer Ken isn't fucking around. Yeah, no, she is, certainly is not. That's what I'm watching. So I am watching uh, two vehicular horror movies that, for one reason or another, got past me. Uh, the first is a John Carpenter movie I had never seen called Christine what? from 1983. You've never seen it? I'd never seen Christine until uh, a few nights ago when, nice. weary from watching 
indie documentaries that have come our way through uh, sidewalk uh, screening process, uh, I decided I wanted to watch a horror movie and chose that one um, because, well, it's John Carpenter. I'd never seen it. Um, It came at a point in his career where he was trying to rebound from the thing. So it was a job for hire, but even a job for hire from John Carpenter is better directed than any number of passion projects from lesser directors. True. Um, Christine is a super stylish movie. um, Based on the Stephen King. Based on the Stephen King novel. I haven't read that novel since I was a teenager, but if memory serves, I think the film deviates from it a fair amount. Um, Keith Gordon, uh, the young actor from the eighties who I know best from De Palma's Dress to Kill. Right. Uh, is the Strange lead. looking dude. Yeah, he's he's a funny looking guy, Arnie Cunningham, uh, a nerd who turns into a greaser in nineteen seventy eight when he acquires this uh nineteen fifty eight Plymouth Fury called Christine, who literally has a mind of its own and the ability to regenerate when it's damaged and all that stuff. It you know, this isn't a great movie. The subtext is insane though yeah yeah uh yeah it is um it's a fun movie you know you got harry dean stanton popping up in a small role right um, in the second half of the movie you've got these bullies who get i would say um maybe a disproportionate punishment but they are pretty awful um you've got the the sort of bland hero dude whose name i can't even remember and his bland girlfriend uh, but most of all, you've got John Carpenter wilding out behind the camera. Right. Um, and that, As he does. That's that's worth the price of the DVD or whatever. I can't wait for this one to screen at the cinema. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna we're going to do like 31 Days of Horror in October. I'm well, just going I'm, ahead I'm and all going about on. that. I'm and that's going to that. be a really fun one to watch with an audience. Yeah. The, the second vehicular horror movie that I hadn't seen is a movie from a few years ago from South Korea called Train to Busan. Um, this was sort of a horror cinephiles um, pick, I think, 2015, 2016, whenever it came out. Uh, it's a zombie movie uh, that takes place on a high-speed train in Korea. As the outbreak uh, is going on around, this train is barreling towards uh, its final destination. But, of course, some infected people get aboard the train, and you can't get off the train because there's zombies out there. But Sucks. You you're on the train with a bunch of zombies and it's it's like you know another korean train movie called snowpiercer <laughs> in that the it's sort of a journey from one end of the train to the other and then back and forth uh trying to survive it's a really cool movie nice uh if you haven't seen it um it's one of those movies that got a lot of uh talk when it came out and for whatever reason it just got past me uh so i was happy to go back and take a look at it uh some good zombie gore and violence and all of that and you can't go wrong with that nice triple feature would be maximum overdrive in there too oh my god i love that movie I and mean, you'd get to look at emilio estevez i i love that movie <laughs> i mean i do too uh so that's what i'm watching cool hey man guess what what uh, you know where I think I'm going after here? Where are you going after to here? To Rojo, because A, I love Lainey, uh-huh. and B, um, they've got a really, really cool, uh, very good veggie burger that I like a lot with french fries. Guacamole's terrific, too. Yeah. The, I actually really think it's like the best chips and salsa in town. I hope I'm not upsetting anybody else who really likes chips and salsa, but man, I, I love Rojo's chips and salsa. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Lucy's Coffee and Tea is also a great spot. Great place to uh, sit, sip coffee, uh, work a little bit. I've done that. What's your, fa- times. what's your favorite beer? My favorite local beer, honestly, is probably uh, from Cahaba. Yeah. 
And uh, I like Roots and Revelry a lot, too, if I'm not going to one of those places. Yeah. Or possibly uh, go by the ATM, use that ATM, my Regions Bank ATM card. Yeah, I have right. one of those. Uh, there's not much money in there, but I have one. <laughs> and then I, what? What do you mean? Uh, you know. Teachers and programmers make lots of money. Sure. Lots and lots of money. It's uh, public anyway. school money. <laughs> and then I'll take that money over to Kerrigan's public house and um, get some cheese fries. I'll take that money over there and drown my sorrows and how I don't have any money. In all seriousness, man, everybody I just listed are great sponsors of ours, and they um, support what we're doing. We're so thankful that they're on board uh, with so many sidewalk-related things. We're happy to have their uh, support and assistance. And they love us regardless of, you know, everything. (laughs) This whole thing. And now, Fast Film Terms. Fast Film Terms. Fast film terms. Let's do it. Okay. What's a manic pixie dream girl, Corey? So this is a term coined by the writer Nathan Rabin uh, in the AV Club, uh, basically to refer to Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown. <laughs> I mean, specifically, like uh, a, a female character in a whimsical rom-com whose only function in the movie is to boost the sullen or depressed male character up. Natalie Portman in Garden State. Um, any number of other half-written, very thinly drawn female characters in movies like that. Gotcha. Well, I've got uh, one that I'm going to kind of answer, but you might know as well, and that is, um, what in the heck is a meat pie western? Particular I, I genre. I don't know this, actually. Well, you want to, de- well, I'll tell you what, why don't you define what a spaghetti western is? A spaghetti western is a western shot in Italy, usually by Italian filmmakers, um, like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, Leone is probably the most famous spaghetti western director. Um, I guess called that because they are filmed in Europe. Well, here we go. Uh, meat pie western is an Australian version of that. Okay, well, they're that known makes for sense. their meat pies. Apparently, I did not know that. So, so, that's what that so is. what's an example of that? Like the proposition? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I really want you to sing it today. Okay. What's this shit? That was damn good. Thank you. That was. It just feels weird for me not to do it, but I, I'm going to resist. I think um, I blew out the mic, but, but it, that's fine. Yeah, I did. But I am going to ask uh, Boutwell for, to put in some like, whatever the little, like some sort of sound effect-y kind of thing of like a news hot flash, hot news moment. A news um, hot flash? A news hot flash. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, that was too, that's too much to go with. Um, because there is, there. I have news about the jump. Hot flash. Get your news hot flash, yeah? Okay. Um, there's a hot girl at the jump now. Congratulations. <laughs> no, it's not a congratulations. That's a oh shit. Um, so there's a hot girl at the jump now. It's really throwing me off my game. I don't like this at all. I'm used to it just being a bunch of juicers who are out there lifting weights and farting. And now there's a hot girl at the jump. You so, can't get on the stage or the tread without, without, <laughs> without thinking about that. Over, yeah, and I'm like, God, I'm just trying to like get on the tread right now. I don't need you know distractions or... You know, worrying about my, you know, oversized T-shirt. Anyway, so that's that's the hot news from the jump. Um, but also, I'm watching a film on the stage, and um, <laughs> you can't you can't handle it. I can't, you can't handle, handle it. I can't. I'm watching a film on the stage, and um, the hot girls left the room. Um, but I see on the screen, and by the way, I know what this film is. I'm just going to let you know what it is, but let's see how far we can go okay, with this, right. uh, because it's not going to take long. I see uh, the adorable little scruffy face of the one and only Emilio Estevez. Okay. Um, a little cutie up on the screen, um, and he's a computer nerd. I know you're about to to get this one. Uh. Um, 
and then we have uh, Thomas Cruise as is always. He's such a standard. Uh, okay. And, yeah, and he's wearing a fake person face. Yeah. That he peels off. That's yeah. like nobody's being fooled by this. Fa- I mean, if I saw this person, I'd be like, "Why are you wearing a fake person face?" So this is the second Mission Impossible movie you've you've seen it. The Cardio Yeah, they love Mission Impossible. I mean, Clearly, this is love? De Palma. This is the De Palma one. This is the first one. It's it's awesome. So here's what's outrageous about it. Are you ready? Yeah. Tom Cruise, John Voight, Ving Rhames, Vanessa Redgrave, Kristen Scott Thomas, Emilio Estevez. I could keep going, but I would bore everybody to death. But this is why nobody can get a job. No actors can get a job in Hollywood, and they're all waiting tables because they just like it's as if they pulled you know the credits from some other film and just were like, just call these people. They'll do it. It's De Palma. Yeah. Yeah, it's Mission Impossible. We got it. Nobody else is allowed to work in that city, you know, because it's just a list of famous people. Yeah. Um, you like that film? I like that film a lot. Cool. It's, well, you- it's one of the better Mission Impossible films. And obviously De Palma's big, like, at bat as a blockbuster director or one of them. I guess his most recent one or his most recent one, The Land, nobody saw Mission to Mars. Yeah. Well, what I thought was kind of cool about it is um, it sort of struck me for a minute that we've got Tom Cruise and Emilio Estevez in a scene together. And, you know, they were in the Outsiders together. So it's kind yeah. of like I'm wondering what that relationship is like. I thought it was kind of cute. Yeah. Anyway, De Palma, eh, whatever. He's a great filmmaker. That's yeah, a good sure. movie. This is this film just seemed kind of OK. OK. All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. Stop. All right. It's time for the filmmaker lightning round. <laughs> Sound effects, uh, which would not be out of place in the films of this filmmaker. Well, they'd be a little bit out of place, like in Dead Ringers, I guess. Uh, we're talking about David Cronenberg, the Canadian auteur, and as you put it, perv. Um, <laughs> I did. I mean, he is, but what, Total a, perv, what a wonderful perv he is. So, Perv, um, sick fuck. Cronenberg just celebrated a birthday. He's great. Um, what's a movie of Cronenberg's that you love? The Dead Zone. Yeah, it's great, right? I love that film, and I actually watched it the weekend of, let me not get po- too political here. This has been a politically charged week, but um, the weekend of the election, I watched it. It, it just made perfect programming makes sense. sense. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to make a request uh, if we could cut in audio of Kyle McKinnon saying, the ice is going to break here. <laughs> uh, I would appreciate that, Kyle. Thank you very much. The ice is going to break. Um a film of Cronenberg's that I love is uh, The Fly, because, I mean, why not? It's sure. a great movie. Whatever. Oh, Goldblum. Okay. All right. Didn't expect that reaction. Nah. Well, it's fine. It's uh, actually amazing. A film uh, of his that you like but don't love, I guess I know one answer to that. Like but don't love, um, nah. You know, he's a he's a bit, for me, of a like... I like it or I don't. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of a tough one. But I might actually go with Dead Ringers because that yeah. thing is so loaded and so weird and so bonkers. And the premise itself is just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not so sure about that film being um, at all, certainly not pleasant to watch. Um, but I'm not sure that film's okay. No, it's probably not. <laughs> I, it's great, but it's probably not okay. I have to go with The Brood. Um, I, nice. I like The Brood a lot. I don't love The Brood. I think The Brood has a lot on its mind. I think it's an interesting movie. Better on paper. Yeah. It's never really fully connected with me, but he's a hard filmmaker to connect with. He's icy. He's distanced. Um, Maybe that's one reason I I find such sort of intellectual pleasure in his movies without fully connecting with them all the time. So that brings us to a movie that you might not like as much as other people do. Uh, I clearly don't like Crash as much as The Academy. 
Wrong Crash, though. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought that one. I thought that was the one that won the mm-mm, Oscar. Mm-mm. His movie Crash definitely did not win the Oscar. Which Crash was it? Paul Haggis's racism is is bad, but oh god, I've had that wrong my racism. whole life. Yeah. Ooh, but it's shit anyway. So same difference. Uh, Crash is actually great. Um, no, it's about it's about people who have a car crash fetish. What's what's not to like? <sighs> it's stupid. Okay. Um. <laughs> Are you getting mad? <laughs> Kyle's. Kyle's losing his mind. Did you really yes, I really thought that. Academy Award winning Crash. Yeah, I really thought that. I really thought that. No. Are you? Are y'all getting this? Can you record this? Awesome. No, I real. I've really thought that for a for a very long time. What is this other Crash film? I know nothing of it. Wait, which one do you not know of? The, I know I clearly know the Cronenberg film, which I don't like. Does, okay. it, does anybody no, in this room like this? I do. Yes, I do a lot. Um, no, <laughs> it's horrible. Okay, so you haven't seen the racism. Uh, everybody's a little bit racist. Film crash. No. Okay, don't. It's terrible. But Cronenberg's crash is great. Okay. Um, <laughs> this this bolt of lightning has been striking for a long wow, time. Wow, go with it. Uh, Naked Lunch is a movie of his I don't like that it I, I can't really get on board with. Um, I like things about it. But it's it's never really been one that I could connect with. Movie you want to see again of his, mm. or you think you need to I see again? I don't know, but well, clearly, <laughs> clearly, I need to see the other crash that's not the Cronenberg crash. You don't. Though. That's <laughs> what I'm telling you. It's it's very bad. Uh, well, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, let me see. You know what? I maybe Shivers. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun one. It's been a long time. Um. Well, what I had written down here for my answer was Crash, but it seems like we've already talked about that enough. So I'll sub out a more recent film of his called A Dangerous Method. I have not seen that. Um, the sort of Freud and Carl Jung sort of, it's not a biopic, but it's a historical drama that features uh, Viggo Mortensen and Michael Fassbender and Keira Knightley. Uh, the first time I saw it, I thought it was really, really slow and icy and distant, and I'd like to give it another shot. I'm sure it is all of those things, but I'd still like to get an, give it another shot. I can't believe we haven't mentioned Videodrome. I love Videodrome. I'm yeah, childhood favorite. It. I'm all about it. What Childhood favorite? Childhood favorite. <laughs> that says a lot, I think. Yeah, well, Debbie Harry, you know? Yeah. She, today's her birthday. You're kidding. Yeah. Well, what day is it? July 1st. I just wanted to clarify that because who knows when people are listening to us. Yeah. We're recording this on July 1st. Happy birthday, Debbie Harry. Love you, boo. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'd like to talk about a classic, Alfred Hitchcock's first movie in America, in fact, released in 1940. The film is titled Rebecca. It's a romantic psychological thriller, and it stars Laurence Olivier as Maxim de Winter, a dashing wealthy man with a mysterious past, and Joan Fontaine as the naive young woman he marries who is never given a name throughout the movie. Fontaine's character is shy, anxious, and insecure, which was true of Fontaine herself during the production. She was not as experienced as the rest of the cast, and Hitchcock played into this to get a better performance from her by telling her that her co-stars did not think she deserved the role. Hitchcock also used an unusual directing technique with Judith Anderson, who plays the cruel housekeeper Mrs. Danvers, by telling her not to blink during any of her scenes. The movie was based on a book by Daphne du Maurier, who also wrote The Birds, 
another Hitchcock classic. The book had been an international bestseller, and its fans had high expectations for the movie. However, in the first script that Hitchcock submitted, he had departed from the book in all kinds of ways. As he had done in his British films, he added humor to offset the suspense. But his American producer, David O. Selznick, was not amused, and he fired off telegrams to Hitchcock in England to say he was shocked and disappointed beyond words, and that humor was vulgar and tasteless. So for the only time in his career, Hitchcock was shut out of the scripting process. In retaliation, he tried to bar Selznick from the set, and the relationship went downhill from there. Selznick was so thrown by Hitchcock's methods that he showed the footage to his wife to ask if he should just cancel the production altogether. Laurence Olivier, who, like Hitchcock, was an established star in England, also faced constant criticism from Selznick. Olivier was new in Hollywood, and he had only accepted the role to support his theater work. Selznick complained constantly about Olivier's performance. At one point, he asked Hitchcock if Olivier even understood what his lines meant. Despite all the backstage drama, the film was nominated for 11 Oscars. It won for Best Cinematography and Best Picture, Hitchcock's only movie to ever win that category. Late in his career, Hitchcock all but disowned the film, saying that the story lacks humor. The film currently holds a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's available to view on YouTube. So now it's time for Cal's Corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. News came out today that 80s All Over podcast was calling it quits. They kind of gave a hint of this a few months ago when they said they needed to take a hiatus to kind of figure everything out. Um, If you don't know the 80s All Over podcast, it's run by Drew McWeeny and Scott Weinberg. And uh, they began it a few years ago with the goal of covering every major theatrical release that came out from 1980 to 1989. And um, it was a huge effort, which means that they were cramming like 20 movies to review for every podcast that came out every two weeks. And it just kind of, I think it just became way too overwhelming. They didn't have the funds to kind of be able to perpetuate this and not focus on their their main jobs as critics. And they made it through 1985. And it was, um, when they went on hiatus, it was just kind of a bummer because I was just, it was just getting to the point where I was, it was like when I was being conscious of movies playing theaters. Like I saw one of my earliest movie going experiences that I really, really enjoyed was seeing Weird Science in the theater, which would have come out that year. And so like they, I just started being able to like kind of connect to it on that particular level. But the other thing that I was kind of bummed about is that um, uh, there's a movie I really love that I've I've just assumed they were going to cover. It's one that I, as far as I know, has only had a VHS release, and um, I, I ended up ripping that VHS or copying it to DVD about ten years ago. And that's the movie called Static. It's directed by uh, music video director Mark Romanek, who also did One Hour Photo, and. It was co-written by Keith Gordon, who was the uh, who was the lead actor in Christine, and he was, he also played a leading part in the Brian De Palma movie Dressed to Kill, and uh, he also starred in the film. And it also has Amanda Plummer, and it has Bob Gunton. It's uh, it it takes place like kind of in a lonely southwestern town. Keith Gordon plays kind of like an maybe like an 18 or 19 year old who he's a loner doesn't have parents kind of hangs out uh in a 
uh, in a trench coat, kind of an intellectual, but he works at a crucifix factory. But he's quietly working in his own little laboratory in his apartment building. And he unveils this invention to the few people in town that he's like kind of friends with or friendly with. And it's like a surveillance system where you can monitor the afterlife. And uh, when he unveils it, he's so proud of it and has this like really moving experience. But uh, everyone else can only see static on the TV. But he's convinced that he can see his deceased parents, see them living in the heaven, you know, flourishing in the heavens. And then the movie takes kind of a, a dark twist from there. But it's a really cool movie. It's it also is kind of funny too. It has this like Twin Peaks vibe to it, or even a little bit of Blue Velvet. But this preceded those um, those those bodies of work, and um, it just has a lot of a lot of great weirdness. The music's awesome. Um, that was the, my introduction to the song. This is the day by the 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 the. It also has this really fantastic piece of music, this uh, Brian, Eno, Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois song that's from that Apollo uh, soundtrack album. Also, Bob Gunton's pretty fantastic in it. Uh, he's the guy, he plays the uh, prison ward in The Shawshank Redemption, but in this movie, he plays this, um, like he's this ex-militant kind of prep preparer guy who's kind of preparing for the end of the world. And he reminds me a lot of Bruce Dern's character in The Burbs, um, so he provides some comedy relief and all. Um, I was so I was hoping that they might be able to cover this film only with the hopes that it might get more people interested in it, so that someone like Shout Factory or somebody could release it on like a you know a nice looking DVD or Blu-ray. Thought that would be really cool. I emailed the director Mark Romanek in 2013 to see if he would consider playing it at Sidewalk. He did respond, but he basically in just like one or two sentences said no, but he was very polite about it. And I thought it was very kind that he would at least reply to that. My understanding is I think that I think he and Keith Gordon had a falling out. I once read an interview with Romanek where he kind of just didn't really even want to talk about the movie, um, which sucks because it's really great. You can probably find it on YouTube. Um, I think I've seen it up there before. And I also, I ripped the VHS into a DVD. So if anybody's interested and would like a copy of it, you can write me and I can send it to you, uh, Kyle at Sidewalk Fest. And one one cool thing about that is um, I also included the trailers, the movie previews that were on the VHS tape. And they uh, one of the movies included was um, Keith Gordon's first film that he directed called The Chocolate War, which is based on the young adult novel of the same name. It stars Elon Mitchell Smith. He's the guy that played Wyatt in Weird Science, and he's really great in it. It has just overall really, really great tone. So I recommend that's a bonus thing to check out. Um, so yeah, that's Kyle, uh, Kyle McKinnon. And this is my uh, goodbye 80s all over. You're the best. And also check out Static and The Chocolate War. So long. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. Thank you guys so much for listening to Side Talks and listening to Corey lose arguments all the dang time. You know, I'm getting a reputation for that <laughs> that I don't think is fully deserved. Oh, we're your own personal Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. Uh, I would be either. Yeah, yeah. I could go with either, and sure. this one I won't fight you. No, I'd, I'd be happy with both. 
Yeah. Uh, thanks, of course, to our friends here at Beltwell Studios for uh, recording us, hosting us, uh, making us sound reasonable sort of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thanks, of course, to Splash 96 for our theme song, which is great. We love it. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, hashtag side talks. Let us know what you think about Cronenberg. He's great. Yeah. Hashtag side talks. Cronenberg is great. That's all you have to tweet. Whatever. You tweet at Rachel. He's fine. Like, I'm not. Just, just fade that out right okay. there. Okay. <laughs> all right. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.